When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, where, unfortunately, we haven't got an Everton match to talk about from the weekend, because, of course, Everton's match against Aston Villa was postponed, but Everton still managed to be the topic of conversation, and there's a few interesting debates that I want to discuss with the panel today. I'm your host, Adam Jones, today joined by Dave Prentice, Chris Beasley and Gav Buckland. And we'll dive straight in, Preno. Uh, obviously, at the weekend, there were some big matches, some big talking points in those matches, of course. But uh, one of the more boring matches, I have to say, was that Liverpool versus Manchester United game. Yeah, you're not wrong. But, uh, <laughs> but the interesting thing actually came uh, in the post-match talk. Obviously, we had Roy Keane discussing who could which teams could possibly be in the uh, in the hunt for Champions League places towards the end of the season. He tended to talk up Leicester quite a lot and then yeah. said, well, forget about Everton. Uh, it caused a bit of a debate on social media. I just wondered, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, it's, it caused a bit of debate in this house as well. As you can imagine, there was uh, like an immediate outcry uh, from uh, some of the younger members of the family. You know, so what a disgrace, you know, so how dare he. But I, I tended to see where he's coming from. Um, I think that, you know, we can get a little bit carried away and we're in a good position. And, you know, our recent results have proved that we can get results when it matters against most teams in the division. Uh, But whether we can do that consistently enough between now and the end of the season to finish above four other teams who are going to include Manchester City, Liverpool, Manchester United and probably Leicester, maybe Tottenham or Chelsea. I'm, I'm not so sure. I think we need much more strength in depth if we're going to do that. Um, and we've got that ridiculous run of fixtures coming up. We've had nothing for like best part of 10 days. Then we've got, is it four games or five games in the space of about, you know, sort of 15 days, uh, which is going to really test the squad uh, to its absolute, you know, sort of maximum. So I sort of see where he's coming from. And I know the way that he delivers his statements is designed to court controversy. And he does try and do it in a really flippant offhand manner. But I think if you analyse, you know, sort of deep down what he's saying, I can probably understand why he's saying it. So, yeah, I don't think he's being too controversial and too wide of the mark, but you guys feel free to shoot me down. Because, uh, what, what do I know? Well, Bees, I think the thing that I found most interesting about this whole thing was this comparison between Everton and Leicester. Now, I don't see, like, from Roy Keane's point of view, like, I personally agree with Preno. I think that Keane has got a point about Everton, yeah. but I think those points refer to Leicester as well. I don't think Leicester are... are you know, any better equipped at a, for a Champions League push than Everton are. What are you? What are your thoughts? No, um, yeah, look at look at where Everton are now. I mean, Everton are in a position currently. If they win, win their game in hand, they'll be above Liverpool. Mm-hmm. So almost half the season's gone. So to be in that position, going back to the start of the season, we, you know, you just snap your hand off to it. It's fair, you know, we're almost halfway through the season, and you're potentially going above um, Liverpool. Yeah. 
Everton, uh, the first full season of in the, the Ancelotti reign, it is probably a, a bit too soon. You know, it would be unfair to ask them, but it, it is a strange old season without the, the fans for, you know, for better or for worse. It's helping them possibly, you know, to win more away matches this season. But, you know, Everton, they've got, you know, one of those grounds as you know, when Goodison's full and as passionate and intimidating as any, so it, it works both ways. But it's just the way that the season has panned out. It, 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 you know, it is a year of, of strange results and perhaps an opportunity where you thought it, it, it might not have um, been there. I can I can understand where, like you say, where he, he's coming from. But you know, with the, comparing Everton to to Leicester City, I mean, okay, it, it's a lot to ask Everton to do better than the, what we now call the the established. Big, big four, but you know they certainly should be uh, aspiring to do just just as uh, much as uh, Leicester City. And if if anyone's going to uh, deliver the decimer for Everton, it'll be uh, Carlo Ancelotti. Well, Gav, uh, you know as he's quite rightly says, you know we're essentially halfway through the season now. Uh, Do you think Everton's ambitions have changed since the start of the season, given you know the the way the campaign's gone so far? Um, I don't think they changed. I think we've got a better chance of uh, of achieving them based on things like Chris was saying. Either to being a funny campaign, obviously, um, for all the reasons we've said. So I think we've got a better chance now than what we had at the start of the season. Or even indeed in a normal season, you've only got to see the points of the teams at the top. It's way below its norm normally is. So yeah, we've definitely. I won't say the expectations is different. I think maybe we've got to maybe we ruled out top four at the start of the season, but that's still feasible. But in terms of Europe, that's still still a, an ambition. Uh, so yeah, I mean. It's funny that Roy came on. There's this classic bit of social media stuff going on. He was actually very complimentary. He was asked about Evan's chance of winning the title, wasn't he? I think. Mm, yeah. And he was actually very complimentary about us, wasn't he? <laughs> he said like, that we'd done really well and stuff. And then that, that bit gets edited in, doesn't it? But he was actually yeah. complimentary me through that in. So, I mean, I don't think that was necessarily a view of Roy Keane, of Evan Football Club and what I was doing at the moment. So... I think, for, to be fair, we've got to uh, we've got to reflect that in this assessment. I think far more, I wouldn't say unforgivable is the phrase, because I remember the times we're living in. I think uh, the broadcaster on Sunday night that listed six of the top seven teams in the Premier League and their points difference between this season and last season and managed to leave Everton off the list. And in fact, we've got one of the best ones, and would have been a good talking point in itself. Mm. I thought, I thought that was far more unforgivable than any any Roy Keane assessment. And Roy was being fair. I, I, I thought that was, I thought that was totally not needed. And we, we spoke last week. I don't know whether you did Friday uh, as we, we spoke about the, the whether the Premier League, the Evans postponements against Man City, and. The Premier League and the way it's covered, is it actually fair? Are all teams treated equally? And I said, like, mm. the Man City postponed, we said that it's beyond. And again, you see that again on Sunday. Well, why leave Everton off? No need to be. I, mean, I think I saw, it, I, saw, it, it, I saw an explanation for it. 
before from I think Phil McNulty tweeted yeah. to an Everton fan that he'd spoken to the director and apparently this graphic was meant to show the top six from last season and that's why those teams were chosen and it was meant to right, right okay, okay that. Well, that's fair it was, enough. It was just headlined wrong or yeah. it didn't get that it didn't yeah, get it okay. properly. Okay, if that's the explanation now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the word you uh, think is still valid, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess. Yeah, it is. I, th- I think. But I mean, let's face it. I mean, we can't. We can't. As supporters, and I'm talking about the fan base. You know, we 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 sort of like moan up not included in the big clubs, and we get get included in the conversation about winning the title. We still moan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't have it both ways, can you? You know, if you mentioned by Sky on Sunday, we'd be moaning. Mm. I mean, if you mention us, and like we, some people don't like what they hear, we still moan collectively. So, it, what, it, what it, you it, want? It feels yeah. like a conspiracy theory, doesn't it? Which is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I understand why. I mean, there was one last week, uh, was uh, you know, so one of our national newspaper rivals, uh, the day after, um, you know, the government made a big deal about uh, players not celebrating. And uh, they picked out, I think it was Everson's celebration, was it at Sheffield United? And, you know, didn't get the memo then, boys. The Wolves, I think it was. Wolves, yeah. Yeah, I didn't get the memo then, guys. And yet there were equally, you know, enthusiastic celebrations with Manchester United and other teams that night. And yet, for some reason, they picked on Everton. So, you know, I I get why, you know, so some supporters do get wound up. But yeah, I'm with you, Gav. That one was absolutely shameful. And I, I accept the explanation belatedly. Uh, But at the time, it doesn't stop you from getting a little bit wound up by it. Yeah, and I've seen that. I've seen that. I mean, let's see. Go the whole. I can remember in 2013, I think we were second on third on the Martinez. And he said, like, uh, who's going to win the title? And they had, like, I think I, I can't remember Spurs with eight tossed in front of them. Oh. Like, so the Chelsea, yeah. Liverpool, Arsenal, Spurs. I think we're, we're second. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that, I, I you know, and I, yeah, I so, it was eight so, years so, ago. let it go, let it go. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I know it, it's just like calls. You know, I normally, I normally like when I see people moan about this stuff, I just say, well, I just you're just being selective and you know, yeah. confirmation bias and all this. And eight years, I'm still annoyed about it. Mm. No, but seriously, you can think, I, I, I've it's not, I. I think it, it's down to relationships between media, the newspapers, and the bigger yeah, clubs. Yeah. We spoke about this last week. I know that actually, if you show somebody doing bad, and you could show twenty clubs, you're not going to show show one of the bigger clubs doing a bad thing. You show one yeah. of the lower clubs because actually, you don't want to damage the relationship by picking us. Yeah. And I think that's that. I, I don't think it's picking on Evan per se. I think it's just the way we're in the media. I'm, I broadcast on, I'm broadcasting now. I just think that it's the way things are. I mean, I, I, I get, I, that's the whole hog here. When players play for England, I'm convinced that if you, you play outside of a top six club playing for England, you're judged completely differently than a player playing in, in the, the big six mm-hmm. in your performances. Def, I think that definitely happens. You know, I'm, I'm convinced. Is there a sense though, Preno, that like this is you know, I saw some Everton fans going, saying, "Well, yeah, this is fine. Let us let us fly under the radar. Let us just do do our own thing. Nobody nobody focuses on us, and then we just sneak our way up there." It definitely helps, yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's far less pressure on footballers, you know, so at the moment because of the absence of supporters in stadia, and uh, I saw quite an interesting argument. Uh, uh, posed in one of the newspapers at the weekend 
as why the Football League is so, or why the Premier League is so concertinas at the moment. And uh, this uh, columnist argument, it was David Walsh in the Sunday Times, and his argument was that um, the absence of fans means that the lesser players can actually go out there in a more relaxed fashion and shine. And he likened it to a, you know, a club golfer. You walk out onto the tee on your own and you play a perfect shot down the fairway with no one watching. When you've got 10 or 12 club members all watching you, you suddenly freeze up a little bit and you're not quite as you know, so, um, accomplished. And he said the same thing's happening in football. And as a result, the lesser teams or the lesser players are being able to play a lot better. Now, it's an argument. I'm not necessarily saying I agree with this. But at the moment, uh, there is less pressure on players uh, because of the absence of fans. The only pressure that is being brought to bear is from the media, uh, from the newspapers, from the television channels and what have you. And if Everton are being left out of that argument, fine. You know, so that's less pressure on the, you know, those so-called lesser players <laughs> to shine. And, you know, so we can continue to do what we're doing. And, you know, if we win four of our next five games, as we've just done, and we suddenly find ourselves, you know, so second or third, and they're still not talking about us, great, because that just keeps pressure off. And, yeah, I take that argument entirely. Mm. I think, Bees, this this debate kind of evolved over the course of the weekend into, mm-hmm. you know, a debate surrounding the January transfer window as well. You know, everyone yeah. have got off to such a good start this season. They find themselves in such a good position, as you say. If they win the game in hand and they go above Liverpool, is this the time for Everton to now go and invest in January rather than back off and to try and capitalise on this good start? Well, well, it would be, but like I said, obviously we, we, we don't like it when everything is referenced to Liverpool, but when we've, we've actually seen Jurgen Klopp has come out and said that the reason they're not going and solving their centre-back issue is that the players are not so much available as that the, the other clubs don't want to let them go this year because of the current situation. And it might just be the way acro- across the board in that, yes, it, w- it would be an ideal time for Everton to sort of capitalise on this, this opportunity. But if uh, the players are available at the, the, at the right price, then you, there's, there's not much you can, you can do about that. I mean, Marcel always keeps his cards close to his chest, doesn't he? And says that, uh, you know, I'm focusing on... Uh, getting the numbers down because there, there are too many players still there, the surplus to requirements, you know, Yannick Balassis and Mohamed Besic likes of them, them uh, who are still on the books, you know, you've been trying to get rid of them for numerous transfer windows. So yes, that, that, that's a, a priority, but yeah, it, 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 if the players are out there, I'd say definitely, but it's, it's whether you can bring them in or not. Mm. I think, Bees makes a good point there, Gav. Like, there does seem to be an increased risk when you're working in the January transfer window, doesn't there? Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially this 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 month. I know Marcel said last week, and we spoke about this on Friday. It was not expect, was not expecting to do business, which is an open end. Very cleverly worded, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I we said on Friday that I didn't expect us to do business, and still. Still thinking that way on our financial, our own club's financial position as much as anything else. Um, and um, you know, if there's going to be any people leaving, any any movement, there'd be people leaving. But in the current environment, it's very difficult to offload players, isn't it? Especially abroad. So um, I, I think there might be I've been linked with one or two players in the last forty-eight hours. You know, I think it's just a difficult climate, sort of. Um, get involved in at the moment, isn't it? Really, I mean, let's face it, it's not exactly. I mean, Jim White's not exactly being kept at busy, is he on Sky mm. at the moment with the uh, transfer dealings? Mm. Um, so 
I, I, I don't like the idea of just buying for the sake of it, you know. Mm. I think, I mean, myself trying to reduce the squad size now, increase it. You know, we were saying last week. So, I, I, if, if, unless there's a, a Ben Godfrey out there or somebody like that, then I'd rather us not buy, buy anybody in January and just looking through to the end of the, end of the season, to be honest with you. Mm. What are your thoughts on it, Prano? Do you think that, you know, buying, buying quality this window could be the difference for Everton in? You know, perhaps qualifying for the Champions League, or do you just think, uh, as you know, Gav, Gav's quite rightly said there, it doesn't seem to be a very busy January anywhere. Like, it doesn't. Do you think the situation's actually there at all? Um, an addition of a bit of class in January could make a difference. Only could. You don't know. There's nothing ever certain in football, is there? And, and as Chris said, you know, what what quality is there available out there? Uh, I can't see any obvious targets, you know, uh, being sought after and being battled over uh, by, you know, sort of clubs in the Premier League to bring them in. Uh, but the financial situation is just so uncertain in football at the moment that, you know, so nobody is spending any money uh, because uh, no one knows, you know, so quite what's going to happen in the near future. I know television money is still there and that's still propping, you know, the Premier League clubs up. But the absence of supporters, you know, the absence of any kind of merchandise and memorabilia that you know they've been selling around the grounds is definitely you know hitting hard. And football clubs are having to tighten their belts as a result. I'm just trying to think in a 2005 when we did finish fourth in the end. Um, I know we sold Thomas Gravison in the January of that yeah, window. Did we bring anybody in? BT club, yeah. Uh, James James BC. Wasn't that the following year though? It wasn't that two thousand no, no, five. No, January 2005. Got, really, yes. Yeah, so BBC yeah. was the man that uh, fired us to a fourth place finish in 2005. No, but the, oh, the, 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 fella did, the, the fellow that Chris mentioned there, the Dodin, the Arteta, was on loan money. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, loan to replace Gravison, wasn't it? Yeah. Right on with you. So, yeah, you know, sometimes you know you can bring players in that will make a difference, but it's not a given. I mean, uh, we didn't know a great deal about Mikel Arteta back then, did we? Mm. Uh, you know, so a great signing that we turned out to be. So it's a gamble. And uh, I don't think football clubs are prepared to gamble right now in the, you know, financial situation. You know, it's a very uncertain world that we live in, uh, not just football, uh, in terms of everybody's future financially. So, you know, we, we just don't know. And so I get why, you know, people are, prepare to tighten the belt and maybe not make a splash. If there was a player out there, if there was a player that we knew would make a massive difference to the football team, you know, so a top striker who was available that we could bring in right now, uh, I could understand it. But, you know, there aren't that many players out there. I mean, I saw the stuff on our blog today, you know, so talking about um, players who are available. Deli Ali, 44 million for Deli Ali. I, I don't think so. That, that's a gamble definitely not worth taking. Um so, no, I, I don't see it. I, I understand why football clubs are keeping the powder dry and why Everson almost certainly will do in January. Mm. Do you think that maybe past mistakes are haunting Everton bees in this in this current January transfer window? I mean, I know Marcel Brands wasn't here when uh, yeah. Everton last made their big January transfer sign. Unfortunately, where Cenk Tosin and Theo Walcott, one of them's on yeah. loan, running down the last few months of his contract. And Cenk Tosin, is, we still think, is... You know, opened to offers to leave, and you know hasn't really hasn't really made much of an impact at all. Yeah, it's not been it's not been great, has it, over the years? Like you say, um, Tosin was. I mean, Sam Aldai said that his first signing was going to be you know crucial, and it seems that Tosin was sort of picked up on a whim from when um, was it Steve Walsh and uh, Farhan Mashir? He went to a Champions League game in Monaco and he scored a couple of goals that night, and uh, yeah, decided to. Uh, Spend the King's ransom on him. Walcott, 
quality player in his day, but you know, was after a bright start initially at Everton, he never sort of hit those heights that you saw of him from his time at Arsenal. But it goes back many years, doesn't it? We're going all the way back to James Beattie there, and then in between more recent years, you've had the likes of Umar Nias, you know, at a time when he was one of the most expensive players in the club's history at that particular moment. So, yeah, it kind of shows you that often it is the case that you can't get good value in January. Perhaps the only thing, maybe, is that I know that uh, Marcel Brands particularly likes South American players and he's trying to sort of increase Everton's scouting in that part of the world. Maybe he's, uh, you know, a relative unknown could be plucked from obscurity in that part of the world. But in terms of, you know, sort of household names that we, we know about in Europe, it, it seems unlikely. Mm. I was going to say, Gav, you know, last season we saw Jada Branthwaite coming in in January to be, you know, the first time yeah. Ancelotti here, and obviously that's worked out pretty well so far. So do you think that maybe there's an opportunity for us to at least go and look at some of some of the youngsters in the lower league and just my babe, my babe, got a got John Stones in January, didn't we? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was the nice uh, shot, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, good to see him back in form, by the way. I know like yeah. he played for City now, but you know, real talent there. Uh, maybe a few longer. I just go back. I don't sound like an old bore here, but we, because I am. But <laughs> it's just we have to look at our financial position as a club when we're talking. I mean, we haven't got like a whole a wedge of spare cash from our accounts to to spend. We we need to reduce our pay bill before and that you know before we we start buying. So. Back to what I was saying before, the business I want to see is players out the club, not players in, but our financial well being going into a going into the summer. Um, because as Pedro says, it will be tough. How um, do you think that's going to yeah, be? Maybe, maybe well, you don't know, do you? I mean, yeah. but I think going back to your question, yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of loan out, you know, youngsters out there that can, you know, that they've identified, not a problem with that. It's the, the 44 million quid for Deli Alley, that's probably a little bit of a yeah, there was something that maybe you wouldn't you wouldn't go near, but you know it, it's get plays out the door for me. You know when you see our finances, um, and just, I'm just think just thinking aloud here as well is because it's such a weird season. There was a, you know the pre season was very short, wasn't it? And I'm just thinking you know Chelsea have had problems integrating players because of you know because everybody everything's so difficult off the pitch. I'm just wondering whether. You, Anybody bought now, it would be difficult difficult to integrate them. Mm. Between now and the end of the season, in this like sort of strange, you know, environment that clubs are operating in. You're not walking into a new dressing room in January, are you? Which is bad enough. You're walking into one now where there's all sorts of restrictions and about behaviour and all that type of stuff and games being played at weird times and all that. Is that the right time to integrate a player when you pay money mm. for them? Not so sure it is. Uh, and I suspect that's one of the reasons why. Pardon? On a side note, though, that's what John Philippe Gabamon's kind of going to have to go through, isn't it? Whenever, yeah, whenever yeah, yeah, it? yeah. At least he's been there. But I'm just wondering whether, like Chelsea found out during the summer, a big money sign and integrating them in a short space of time in this environment is not necessarily ideal, is it? Mm. You know, and I'm just wondering whether that comes into it. And that adds extra risk to an already risky transfer market in January. Mm. Of course, Preno, moving on to Monday evening, we saw Everton's under-23s in action last night. Uh, a 1-1 draw against Liverpool in Southport. Their first match in a month, actually, the, since a 
2-2 draw against Brighton in, uh, in December. Richus who got the goal inside the first minute before they were pegged back. Katia Kuyate got sent off for a pretty uh, pretty rash challenge, which I'm not sure. <laughs> if you've seen it, I'm not sure you can have any any complaints about uh, getting a red card for it in uh, the dying minutes of the game. But uh, it was a, it was a pretty entertaining match, wasn't it, Prano? And then, you know, it's a it's a good way to for these youngsters to get back involved. You know, the likes of Sims and Onyango, who've been training with the first team, especially. Yeah, I was uh, deeply envious of you, even though you were sat there shivering in a, a cold. You know, oh, it's absolutely freezing. <laughs> hey, Gavin, you'll always be Hey, Gavin, you to me. Uh, whatever, <laughs> whatever it's called now, is it the Mersey Royal Community or something? Whatever it is now, yeah. Stadium. That, that is literally a ten-minute drive from our house. You know, fifty-minute drive, and we can't go for obvious reasons. So I, I did feel envious of you. You know, so being <laughs> sat in there. Uh, but no, I mean, they are showing the games, you know, so live streaming them. So it is something that, to distract us. And uh, it's important for the under 23 players, you know, to get out there and, you know, sort of play as often as they can. And it was a strong side. Interested to see in Konku, um, you know, sort of playing there after his uh, recent first team exposure. And Ellis Sims, you know, is the one that everyone seems to talk about because he's a goal scorer. Goal scorers always, you know, sort of capture the imagination. So, still don't think he's quite ready for, uh, you know, sort of senior football just yet. But, you know, the more exposure he gets to that level, the better. So, yeah, all in all, it was, uh, it was a valuable uh, run out. And I know the, uh, the powers that be were all there to, you know, sort of watch the players, you know, sort of taking steps towards uh, first team football. But I'm not sure. That many of them uh, on show last night are ready just yet to be exposed, you know, regularly uh, to Premier League football. And Conku is probably the closest, and he's still got, you know, a lot of learning still to do. But all in all, yeah, a, a valuable experience. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Well, Ellis Sims is an interesting one, isn't he? Bees, you know, he seems to be probably fourth in the striking pecking order at Everton behind Calvert Lewin, Richarlison, and Cenk Tosin at the minute. Mm-hmm. You know, the January transfer window is still open. You know, do, do you think it's going to be better for him? He's twenty years old now. Do you think it's better for him to go out and maybe find find a loan at a lower league club somewhere, get some senior football under his belt? Because it doesn't look like it's going to come at Everton this season, does it? Yeah, it's um, it's um. Fine margin, isn't it? Because we we've talked about recently in in the paper. I know Phil did a piece where he's saying some of these youngsters just had far too many loans, and you know the the club should have made a decision on them earlier. But I've, Ellis isn't anywhere near that stage in his his career yet. But yeah, definitely. Um, we've seen I've seen Jared Bramthwaite go out to to Blackburn Rovers in this last week or so. Made his debut at the. The weekend, you know, when when he's got four centre backs, senior players ahead of him in the pecking order. So yeah, maybe similar for for Ellis because one thing he, he can do at the level that he has played so far in his career, be it the the under eighteens and now under twenty threes, is you know he's, he's a prolific goal scorer. But like a lot of young raw players, you know, he needs to sort of develop that 
all-round game and unfortunately under 23s football has not proven sufficient over at least last few years of um, sort of bringing on players for the first team certainly Premier League and not in the whole it seems to be almost like a finishing school for players to then drop into the, the lower division so yeah if he, he has aspirations obviously for making it at Everton I think he's got to sort of show himself in men's football it's what Dominic Calvert-Lewin did all those years ago he speaks fondly about the spell he had at Staley Bridge Celtic finishing the you know his, the night of his debut in the, the local infirmary after breaking his nose so he's got on the score sheet and just got roughed up by some non-league centre half. I'm not saying obviously Ellis needs to drop that that low <laughs> down the the pyramid, but um, yeah, it, it's all going to be beneficial, isn't it? Playing in in proper men's football because, like I've said, in, when we've had what is now the Papa John's trophies, isn't it? The, the and in those competitions, it tends to be that the lower league teams on the whole turn over the under-23s and it just shows you that there is still a golfing class. Mm. What are your thoughts on it, Gav? Do you think Ellis Ellis should be looking for a loan move this month? Not Ellis. I was interested to read your piece about Nkunku, though, where uh, the, 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 the difficulties of where you're sort of a level or two above under-23, but not good enough to be a regular mm. first-team start and you get caught in the ether mm. between both setups where you don't maybe get enough game time and I think I think it's those people in that group that benefit from alone like Dan Tweed comes into that category doesn't he mm. I mean you've got to you know, maybe if we get another left back in I think we'll probably benefit but like say Holgate did a couple of years ago where you sort of too good or too experienced from one level, but not need more experience to get in the first team. And I think uh, Sims are wooden, but somebody like Nkunku definitely. Um, if you know, if in the summer we 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 bolster our options at left back, um, those are the type of players who benefit on loan. I think Sims just needs game time at, at that level at the moment. Mm. What did you make of Nkunku's performance, Preno? Because I thought it was. It was a bit of an interesting game from him. It wasn't the kind of game that I was expecting from him, you know. I haven't seen him play against, you know, Salford and Fleetwood and bombing down the line and constantly getting crosses into the box. He just he just didn't seem to have that energy up and down the flank for me. No, you just wonder whether he's being asked, you know, to show a different type of his game, you know, so we know he can do that. Um, you know, we can know he can get forward and be really, you know, devastating in the final third. <coughs> And maybe they want to see more of a, a defensive-minded awareness, you know, sort to his game, and try and you know ask him to concentrate on that a little bit more, uh, because you know the last time we saw him in first-team action, we saw that we saw that he was dangerous going forward, but you know defensively, the one or two moments that he could have been a little bit tighter, stopping crosses going in, maybe he's been asked to do that. Uh, but equally, it's been you know a long season for him already as well. You know, so, as a young lad, he was brought in to be part of the under-23 setup initially. And then suddenly found himself, you know, so spearheaded into the first team spotlight and getting everybody really excited uh, with the quality of his performances. And everybody thinking, wow, you know, so we could have a first team, you know, footballer here already made. Clearly that was a bit premature. Uh, and maybe he's just feeling, feeling it a little bit, you know, so he's still a youngster who's not used to playing, you know, so, you know, full seasons of, you know, so first team football. So maybe it's just beginning to catch up with him a little bit. Uh, don't know. Simple answer, but you know, it's a, nothing to worry about. I mean, he's a, he's a very very bright talent. There uh, is one earmarked clearly for the future, maybe not for the here and now. 
and uh, I've not seen anything, you know, sort of worry me at all. You know, so last night didn't really, um, you know, sort of concern me too much. Just saw a different type, you know, so a performance from them that we've been seeing in recent weeks. Mm. I think the important thing that Preno mentions there, Bees, is that, you know, he's mm -hmm. still, and Kunku's still a very young player, isn't he? We did only expect him to join up with the under 23s at the start of the season. He was kind of thrust into the first team limelight very early on and impressed uh, a, a lot. So maybe it's just, just a case of you know trying to deal with those expectations and you know still trying to still trying to develop himself in the right way, isn't it? Yeah, I mean he came in without any first team experience. I don't think at Olympic Marseille been mostly involved with their junior setup, and he's obviously had to, to come into a new country. And what's already been mentioned in this podcast is you know very difficult trying times. I mean I saw an interview with him recently with the. In which he said that um, he, he felt that he assimilated well, and he he now lives like a true Englishman. I mean, that was um, <laughs> <laughs> open to interpretation. But, um, That's about yeah, the and the eyelash every night. So. Yeah, well, <laughs> reports of that nature when he when he when he yeah. chose that, he thought he was probably being uh, getting on yeah. side when he said that. But yeah, he yeah. did leave himself open to a, um, a lot of interpretation. But yeah. But I think it won't be all joking apart. It shows that he does feel like he has settled in on and off the pitch, like I said. But it's one thing doing it in, you know, against the likes of your your Salfords and Fleetwoods in the the early rounds of the the League Cup, and then sort of taking that on into the Premier League. He got an opportunity quite early on, didn't he, at Newcastle United? And then since then, Carlo seems to be preferring the more established figures, even if they be, you know, centre-backs in those wide defensive areas. So, looks like he'll have to um, wait for his opportunities. But, um, yeah, he, he's um, certainly shown the signs of encouragement so far. And given that, you know, Everton have been rather spoiled and done very well in which is often the most difficult part of the um, pitch to sort of find quality recruits. Because if you consider, obviously, Leighton Baines just retired. Luca Dean's taken on the baton in like superb fashion and has kept those high standards up. And now to have a promising youngster like Nkunku on on the box, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's always difficult to have quality left back. So you know, Everson should have plenty of encouragement there. And then just to finish off, uh, I promised I'd bring this up to uh, <laughs> Mark Elson on Twitter. So this is this is for you, Mark. Uh, Preno, you wrote a piece yesterday, Mark and, and Everton legends' birthday. You want to tell us about it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's January the 18th is always a date uh, that has plenty of significance for me because not only is it uh, my little sister's birthday, it's the great <laughs> Bob Latchford's birthday, which caused lots which of Which one do you celebrate more? Well, exactly. That means dad used to always tell me off for saying that, saying that <laughs> the wrong way around. Your sister's got the same birthday as Bob Latchford, not Latchford's got the same birthday as my sister. <laughs> but um, no, you see, for people of my vintage, uh, Bob Latchford was and still is my absolute idol. Um, he was signed at a time when Liverpool dominated everything at home and abroad and Evertonians were desperate for a for a folk hero, somebody we could attach all our dreams and aspirations to. And Bob always delivered. I mean, he was a, a goal scorer, pure and simple in the old fashioned sense. Uh, the, the concept of pressing uh, would be absolutely alien to him. Uh, but he came alive in the six yard box. And I always remember probably about 15 years after he uh, left Everton, Joe Royal uh, telling me how he'd sat down when he was the Everton manager with Paul Rideout and Duncan Ferguson and showed them videos of Bob Latchford and the way he used to get across defenders in the six-yard box, 
trying to basically coach them into that art of finding space in the penalty area. He did that so well. He scored goals routinely. He was top scorer, I think, like six or six out of his seven Everton seasons. Obviously, became the first division's top goal scorer in 1977-78 uh, when he scored 30 league goals, which was the first time any English player had done that for six years, Francis Lee being the previous one. And at the time, it was so rare. The Daily Express actually put up a 10 grand prize uh, for a player to do it because they bemoaned the dearth about now goal scorers in English football. And Latchford did it. And uh, he did it with a penalty, but he only scored that penalty because he was getting close to it. He got to 27 league goals, that a single penalty kick. And someone thought, bloody hell, you know, he's getting quite close now. Maybe we need to start helping him out a little bit. And so two of his last three goals that season were from the spot. But that was unusual because he didn't normally take penalties. I've met Bob many times since, and I'm still always a little bit in awe, always a little bit, you know, so <laughs> nervous when I meet him. The only, you know, sort of footballer I can say I'm nervous to meet. Because just love the guy. And he's, they say never meet your heroes, but I did. And I'm glad I did because he was absolutely charming and gracious and a lovely fella, as well as an absolute great goal scorer. But funny enough, before we even came on here, uh, I saw uh, Darren Griffiths doing a Tim Cahill goal against Liverpool on this day about 10 years ago, an equaliser at Anfield. and said, what's your favourite ever Everton equaliser? And it's a strange question, but like loads of uh, you know entries piled in. And the first two that came to mind were Bob Latchford equalisers, uh, the League Cup final replay at Hillsborough, leathered in from one yard, Bob's favourite range. And then an absolutely <laughs> classic diving header at West Ham at Ellen Road, FA Cup semi-final. He scored in big games, did Bob. And uh, then I remember the inches at Oxford, thought maybe I should mention that as well. But the first two that came to mind were Bob Latchford's. Absolutely loved the fella. And I know Gavin has, you know, sort of other heroes, Inchi being one of them. But I think you also yeah. have a soft spot for Latch, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm obviously a few years, several years younger than you, Fredo. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, I mean, you know you know yourself, Dave. I mean, I've been in Patchbox for years, like yourself. And, yeah. you know, the time when Bob's at the ground, you know, Bob's yeah. there, don't you? Yeah. There's, there's a bus, yeah. but yeah. there's a bus, there's Bob's here today. Bob's, you know, yeah. you can see, yeah. you know, fellas in their the 40s, or like well, years ago, maybe 40s, 50s yeah. now, going to pieces. Bob's here, yeah. you know, he has that like charisma and uh, he, and hundred percent with Prano. Um he was a far better player than just a goal scorer though. I think he was uh, I think I think with Bob Bob a bit like Joe and that maybe he didn't make the most of his physical attributes. I think he was probably a far better he could have been a far better player if he'd believed himself in a little bit more. I think he admitted that. But as, as you know, he was the, one of the best players I've ever seen, and I don't want to. As soon as as soon as you started this, I thought could be could be here another hour here. By the way, you know, he's one goal I, I mentioned. You know the goal that Old Trafford again. You talk about scoring big games, scoring the League Cup final against Villa, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, he scored in both. He's, so he scored at Old Trafford, and his first goal free kick, and he's he was a master of running before it from like a corner or three yeah. kicks or something. Running before anybody else, and you see that goal kind of. Yeah. I don't remember it's across. I don't know where it's it down, and he's yeah. he's run. Nobody else, everybody else has stood down, and he gets a yeah. nickel. I think it was yeah. Yeah, him. Yeah. He's one of the best players I've ever seen of starting his run before yeah. something happens, you know. And Paul Paolo Rossi was fantastic at it, and and that was one of Bob's uh, great stance. He was a far better player than just like a tapping goal scorer, mate. Um, and from 72, his top like career, 72 to 83, he was the leading goal scorer in 
like the first division by like an absolute mile in yeah. them eleven years, you know. Um because he was just a uh, he was just a great goal scorer. Maybe uh, you know, being picky probably maybe never made the most of his ability, but he was a uh, a top top goal scorer and as you say, I've met him a few times and a top man. He, he, of course Appears to be turning back the clock, doesn't he? He gets younger as he gets older every time. Oh, he's, 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 he genuinely yeah. is Peter Pan. I mean, funnily enough, Martin yeah, O'Donnell, yeah, yeah. who wrote who wrote his autobiography, yeah. ran in touch with me yesterday and said that he'd been collecting all the tweets and uh, and the story that we'd written and was sending them across to Bob, who lives in Germany now. And yeah. uh, he became a dad again only about 12, 13 years ago, you know, which, you know, given the fact he celebrated his 70th birthday yesterday, he really is, you know, sort of Peter Pan. Uh, but you said that uh, Bob was genuinely touched uh, by all the messages yeah. from the Everson supporters, and he was just thrilled that you know, so people still remembered him because he always was a very humble fella. Maybe that's what you were getting at before, Gavin. That maybe you needed a little bit more self confidence. But having said that, yeah. he's still, you know, before Sharpie, he was the second highest goal scorer in the club's entire yeah. history. Only Dixie Dean had scored more. Obviously, Sharpie no, certainly that, overtook that. That's so. it. Better strike rate than Sharpie as well, and the far more playing for a poorer yeah. team, the far more defensive era. I just yeah. felt he had a little bit, he had a little more, he had more ability than sometimes he he, he showed. You know, um, his physical gifts and and, and so on were, were, were there, but he never. I don't much know whether he used them all the time, but yeah, he was a he was a great player. And I mean, I mean, there's there's funny things in there. I was listening to you know Dean Ashton for West Ham and Norris's career finished early, and he said. I was listening to a commentator on the game of the week saying that when you're a footballer and you finish, like for a lot of people, it doesn't really matter about like whether you won trophies or not. It's like it's how you've been regarded by fans. Totally. I've, I've had this argument. You know, like what, what, what makes a legend? Uh, Dave Hicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everton, but it's undoubtedly he's a yeah. legend. Yeah. Yeah, and because and the other thing too, because you won a trophy, doesn't make it a legend. And yeah. like, like Bob. And Bob, I think one of the FA Cup, uh, Welsh FA Cup winners, I mean, he didn't win, a, didn't win anything in his career, but it doesn't matter yeah. in some respects for him as, as an individual, as a footballer, as a best footballer. He's idolised by, you know, tens of thousands of people. He was even idol at Birmingham, wasn't he, in the, in the early 70s? They all loved him there. And it was, it was interesting to hear him talking about that because I agree totally what he was saying. That, like, that's what. Like all of us, isn't it? Whatever trades within, whatever we'd like to be regarded as being, you know, by your peers and stuff as as being, you know, exceptional. And I think uh, that Bob, the relation to Bob must be, you know, equivalent to winning seven league titles and a couple of Champions League, surely. That's what, that's what um, I said in the piece. You know, I said he didn't win anything in his career. If you discount three Welsh Cups, uh, one League Cup yeah. winners at Tankard, or finishing top scorer in the top division, but he won the hearts of football fans. And that's what matters. Yeah. I mean, I saw stuff on Twitter yesterday, which is quite funny. People talking about uh, when he did his book signings uh, a few years ago. And he did a book signing in Birmingham. And uh, one of the older guys there went up to him and said, you know what, Bob, I'm glad you're signing this, but I absolutely hated you when you left us. We loved you so much and, you you know, you were going and signed for them. And he still hadn't got over it, you know, so even like 30 odd years on because he was adored so much. The one, the one thing he, he lacked at Everson was a decent strike partner. I know he, he had 
signs of him with Duncan McKenzie for it for a season or two. But you know, the attempts to get him a strike partner failed miserably. Yeah, well, okay. didn't work at all. Okay, Dave Thomas was a great supplier, but he didn't have a strike partner as such. And you know, we were linked occasionally with Trevor Francis in that era. Imagine who yeah. played with that Birmingham. Imagine if we'd have got Trevor Francis and Bob Ashford playing together. Oh my god, that would have been like absolute happened. nirvana. Of course, it didn't happen. Yeah, I think think Harry wanted Jimmy Green off in the early seventies as well. Oh, Jimmy Green would have been another good partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, I think that's it. But I mean that that legend. Yeah, it's all about legends. So players from the last twenty years are called legends. But and then people say, oh, you've got to have won something to be a legend. No, no, that's the case. Bob Lashford is a legend. Absolutely, one hundred percent ever legend. Well, if, and, if, if it, so you go. You get so excited. And and sort of like <laughs> one of the main in the post war era, yeah. one of the main ones as well, isn't he? Yeah. It's not like you know, he's one of the great icons of the post war era for Everton. Uh, I would imagine we see the 70s, the millennium 70s. I was just going to make that exact point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, was, I was part of that panel that was asked to go into the Goodison boardroom in uh, 1999 and deliberate on one Everton icon from every decade of the club's history to celebrate the millennium. And uh, the 70s, there weren't massive, you know, sort of contenders, uh, but, you know, Mickey Lyons, maybe, Alan Ball, but obviously left in 1972. Uh, so, you know, for me and for everybody else in that room, it was an absolute shoo-in. Uh, Bob Latchford was the millennium giant for the 1970s. And it wasn't even an argument, to be honest, or a discussion. It was just like it was nailed on. And a lot of them were, you know, sort of quite controversial. I mean, the 1960s one uh, took some uh, working out. But 1970s was absolutely, you know, sort of definitive. It had to be Bob Latchford. Great. Wow. This has been a great, like 10 or 15 minutes for me. <laughs> yeah, you're learning oh, about some. We, we, can, we, we can do an encore. Anything for like 10 or 15 minutes. I'm yeah. the host. We, we, <laughs> can, we, we can do an encore out if you want. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, <laughs> I just thought as soon as you mentioned Soprano, Jamie wanted to talk about Bob. I was just thinking, like, I'm going to cancel what I'm doing for the next half hour now. You know, <laughs> I was going to say, you've, you've got a meeting to get to soon, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, so. yeah probably. Yeah, yeah, it's already started 15 minutes ago. Just thought, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, not, it's not just me, it's everybody of that era. I mean, Ian Rush yeah. of Liverpool's, you know, still greatest all time yeah. footballers. His hero was a kid, was Bob Latchford. Uh, you know, so even yeah. though you know, even though he was an Amazonian initially as a kid, but yeah, so many you know, people of that vintage just you know, so idolized Bob. And, uh, yeah, so we're not yeah. alone, we're not alone. What I would just sure. say, just quick, just quickly to wrap things up, then I'm obviously I'm a bit, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit older than Adam, but I'm a bit younger than Gavin and Dave. So I, you know, I only lived through the last four, <laughs> last four months of the 70s, so I don't remember Bob's. Uh, <laughs> playing days but um i did meet him myself uh, about i think it was coming up for four years ago at the floral pavilion when he did one of john keith's um evenings there and, and, and i was backstage with both bob and ray clemens who we obviously lost recently and uh they met up um, backstage before the the performance and i was struck between the, the warmth between the two of them and i, I thought at the time you know, but maybe they, like they know each other, you know, from the after dinner circuit and they've, you know, sort of spoken to each other many times over the years. Actually turned out they've not spoken to each other since they were on England international duty, like almost 40 years before. But the warmth really? between them there, there was a, like the, the bear hug yeah. and, you know, the way that they were speaking, these two old rivals, I mean, it was, it was fantastic. Like I said, I, I presumed they, you know, been, you know, known each other for, for, for many years, but that was actually the first time they'd spoken to each other for several decades. So it's so like a sort of shows you the respect he had even amongst like one of the great um, Liverpool players. 
Even yeah. though the one the right. one blemish on his copybook is he never scored against Liverpool while he was at Everton. Same time, Kevin Keegan never scored against Everton, you know, so while he was at Liverpool. Yeah. But he'd scored against them for Birmingham and then he signed for Swansea the following season. And I think was the first division's top goal scorer again uh, when he gone yeah. to Swansea and scored against them several times. So we'll forgive him. <laughs> yeah, he scored, scored every, every game he played for Birmingham against Liverpool. He scored, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but only, you might remember, oh, sorry about this, we're going on a bit here, but remember the derby at Anfield in 75 when he was through in the last minute? There was a Danfield's road and Clement smoked them off, didn't he? He, he sort of ticked them into lobbing the ball into his hand. I know. I, I remember it well. And there seemed to be like a yeah. mental block, I thought, uh, when it came yeah. to playing against Liverpool. Because remember the famous 2 2 draw uh, at Anfield when uh, Gary Stanley and Terry McDermott were sent off. Ah, the streak. McLean scored the own goal. There was a streak. It was a, yeah. it was a goal yeah, yeah. that had everything. And towards yeah. the end of that game, um, you know, so Latchford had a chance of about seven or eight yards and he almost like froze. And Andy King just took it off his toes and leathered yeah. it past the uh, Ray Clemens. Andy King never had such issues against Liverpool. Let's carry on the anecdotes because I know, like, saying he didn't make the most of physical gifts. And, like, remember Graham Sharp saying he was on, uh, then he went to Spain in 1980 for pre season. He played up for Bob and he said the centre, centre half kept on, you know, giving Bob elbows and all this. And yeah. he said the. Bob didn't do anything to come off the pitch, yeah. you know, like, so he got something to come off the pitch, he said, like, and he, I thought, the Bob's being, I he's like, he can handle himself, and he's just be, you know, let, let the centre-half push him now for 90 minutes, and the day team is taking the same old cell, the centre-half come down next morning on crutches. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, Bob would turn him, you know, like, when nobody yeah. was looking, you know. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, yeah. See, a whole podcast here, as you know, but it could have been a whole podcast, really, couldn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Fortunately, I'm going to probably have to uh, have to cut you short in your prime there. Uh, thank you very much for joining me, lads, and thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back a bit later on in the week to discuss uh, Everton's upcoming FA Cup clash with Sheffield Wednesday at the weekend. We'll have Carlo Ancelotti's press conference later in the week, and we'll discuss early team news and our panel's thoughts ahead of that game. But for now... You can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. And you can join in the conversation on Facebook and Twitter as well. Just search for the Royal Blue Podcast on both of those platforms there. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.